He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, of course, is Psalm 23. And it just feels appropriate to read it in King James, doesn't it? It just, it just seems like it kind of has to be. Um, but that really, that's the, that's the shepherd's psalm. And as we get into John chapter 10 this morning, we're going to be looking at the good shepherd and how he keeps his sheep. And I can't help but think that as John is speaking here this morning, or Jesus is speaking here this morning in John chapter 10, that he had this psalm in mind. I can't help but think that he was imagining Psalm 23, reciting Psalm 23 in his heart and in his mind as he, as he was sharing this passage. Thinking about the words that, that the shepherd king, that his forefather, King David, had penned so many centuries before. Before we get into the text this morning, I want to ask a couple questions. First, how many of you here this morning are shepherds? None, okay? So none of you guys have flocks that you have to tend to, right? Nobody has to rush out right after church to shear their sheep or anything? Okay. How many of you guys are originally from Israel 2,000 years ago? Again, none, right? So we miss a lot of the, the context of what Jesus is saying here because we're not acquainted with sheep, because we're not a part of that culture. But Israel in Jesus' time was a very agrarian society. The culture, the economy, it was based largely on agriculture. And sheep and shepherds were all around the people all the time. And so even people who, who weren't shepherds, people who didn't tend sheep, they had a, a basic understanding of, of what herding sheep entailed, what that looked like. And I think as we read through John chapter 10, we miss a lot of the things that would have been immediately obvious to the original audience. And so I'm going to take a couple minutes before we start just to kind of explain a couple things in advance. So that when we, under, so when we read through John chapter 10, we'll kind of understand what he's talking about a little bit there. And in those days... The wilderness around Judea was, it was a treacherous area. There were wild animals, there were bears, there were wolves, there were lions, there were jackals, there were poisonous snakes, there were thieves and robbers who would come in and they would pilfer the flocks. You know, just like in the Wild West, there were cattle rustlers, right? There were sheep rustlers. And they would come in and they would try to steal the sheep. And so at night, you couldn't leave your sheep unprotected. So what the shepherds would do is they would build what was called a sheepfold. And it was basically about a five to eight foot tall series of walls. And it was either a round structure or a square structure. And in that structure, there, was, it, there wasn't a door. There was just sort of a, a pass-through. There was an opening. And the sheep would go in in the evening, and they would come back out in the morning. And so in that opening there, 
either the shepherd or sometimes they hired, they called him a porter or a gatekeeper. And he would lay there in that opening. And so as he laid there, he would ensure that nobody who wasn't supposed to in, come in could come in or nobody who was supposed to go out didn't go out. So, so he was really the he, was the, he was the door. He acted like the door there himself. And so in the morning time, the shepherds would come to the sheepfold. And oftentimes they would sing a song. And the sheep would hear the song of their shepherd. And they would follow that shepherd out to the pasture. And it's amazing, really, how the sheep would always recognize the voice of their shepherd. And how each shepherd knew his sheep individually. There was this amazing degree of, of intimacy and relationship between the flocks and, the, and their shepherds. I heard a story of this guy, and he visited the Middle East. And, and he'd grown up reading the scriptures. He'd read Psalm 23. He'd read John 10. He'd heard people preach on this. And so he wanted to see how this played out in real life. And so he gets a guide to take him out, and he finds some Bedouins out in the desert. And he gets there, and he finds this flock of sheep, and he sees a man, and he's got a stick. And the man's beating the sheep. And every time they try to go away, he's whipping them back into line, driving them into the corral. And the guy is so disappointed. And he says to the guy, he said, I thought that the, I thought that the sheep followed the shepherd. I thought they heard his voice and followed him. And the guy said, oh, they do. He said, that's the butcher. <laughs> and, uh, But the shepherd would speak, or he would sing a song over his flock. And I love that idea. Isn't that beautiful? That he would sing a song over his flock. And he would lead the flock out to the pasture. He'd take them out for nourishment. He'd lead them to places where they could drink water. He would protect them from predators. He would correct them when his, with his staff when they, when they started to go astray. He would tend to their sickness. He would tend to their wounds. And so all of this, it would have been common knowledge to the people that Jesus was speaking with. But we need to understand that so we can really get what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherds knew every sheep by name. Isn't that amazing? When he had brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus tells these guys this little parable, and they didn't get it at all. And it's not that they missed what he was saying physically, right? They understood about the sheep and the shepherds. They missed the application spiritually. So he tells them this little story, and they're kind of left scratching their heads a little bit. It's okay, Jesus, so you're telling us that there are sheepfolds, and there's doors, and there's shepherds that listen to the sheep, and, and there are robbers. Yeah, we get that, Jesus. We know that. We see that all the time. 
That'd be like if I stood up this morning and, and for the sermon this morning I said, if you go to the grocery store, you get a cart and you put your toilet paper and tomatoes in it. And then you check it out, check out, and then you put it in the trunk of your car. Let's pray. You guys are all going to be like, what? Jesus just told them some very common, mundane information. And they're saying, what's the point? And Jesus tells them some farming facts. And they say, we don't get it, Jesus. We miss something. And so like Jesus so often does, he unpacks this parable for them in verse 7. And he begins to break it down. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And I wonder if, if there wasn't a little smile in Jesus' voice at this point. He says, look, the story that I just told you guys, it's all about me. He says, truly, truly, I tell you. He says, look, guys, this is important. Pay attention to what I'm about to tell you here. Take notes. He says, I am the door of the sheep. He says, I am the one who protects the sheep. I am the one who lays down in the doorway. I am the one who puts his body between the sheep and the wolves. And don't you just love that image of Jesus? Our protector, our, our filter, right? Nothing reaches us that doesn't go through Jesus first. And I love that idea. That he stops the predators from reaching us. That he keeps us safe and secure in him. Back in verse 5, Jesus said this, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Once when um, my daughter, Evangeline, when she was about two and a half, there was this young lady at our church, and she was always vying for Eva's attention. She's always trying to get Eva to come and give her a hug or give her a kiss. And one day I saw this happen. She, she said, Eva, come here. And Eva went like this. Uh-uh. <laughs> and walked away. And you know, um, that's kind of how it is. Right? Jesus says, look, if a stranger comes and tries to lead my people away, they'll recognize that that isn't my voice. And they flee. And he says sort of the same thing here in verse 8. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus says, there were, there were others who came before me. There were others who came before Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. Other men had showed up, but they were false teachers, and, and they led the people astray. These are the ones, Jesus said, who tried to, to get in the sheepfold the wrong way, the ones who tried to scale the walls or dig under the walls or, or whatever. But Jesus says, understand this. Not everyone who comes in the name of the Lord is of the Lord. He says not only are there, are there false religious systems out there, but there are also false teachers. There are also false shepherds within the church. There are false teachers among the people of God. Remember what Jesus talks about in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15? He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What do we think when we see that picture, when we hear that picture, ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing? We think of a wolf dressed up like what? 
a sheep, right? We think of a wolf with, with a little sheepskin over it and a little sheep head creeping up on the flock. But that's not what this verse is saying. Think about this. What did shepherds wear in those days? They made clothing made out of wool. Or they wore sheepskins. A wolf in sheep's clothing isn't a wolf dressed up like a sheep. A wolf in sheep's clothing is a wolf dressed up like what? Like a shepherd. That puts a little bit different spin on it, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is talking about. Thieves and robbers pretending to be men of God, pretending to be shepherds, pretending to be pastors. And just to be clear here, this word shepherd in the Koine Greek is poimen. And that word is translated shepherd, but it's also translated pastor. And so Jesus says, look, you need to be aware that there are fakes out there, that there are frauds, there are, there are charlatans out there. There are plenty of, of snake oil salesmen out there. They're trying to, to gain access to the people of God for their own purposes, for their own financial gain. There were plenty of false teachers in Jesus' day. Plenty of false purveyors of the truth in his time. Religious leaders who were only in it for their own gain. And I'm so glad that we don't have that anymore. I'm so glad that there aren't people using godliness as a means of gain. Human nature just doesn't change, does it? I am the door, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, here Jesus reiterates, he says, I am the door. He says, if you want to find salvation, it's through me. You want to find pasture, it's through me. And for a sheep, pasture meant provision. It meant contentment. It meant satisfaction. It meant nourishment. Remember back in Psalm 23, that picture of the Lord being David's shepherd. David paints this picture of, of finding all of his satisfaction and all of his joy in the Lord. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he say? I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And I, I, I look at that description right there. And I can't help but to think that's what Jesus has in mind here when he says, anyone who enters the gate through me will find his pasture. That image of green pastures, of, of still waters. That place where we lack nothing spiritually. And I love that he says that he will restore our souls. That he leads us into paths of righteousness. Isn't that a wonderful image? Our Lord protecting us and leading us and nurturing us and restoring us and saving us. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? Jesus says, look, the enemy, the thief, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we need to understand, I think, that we have an enemy who is committed to our destruction. 
He's committed to stealing anything that he can from us. He's committed to stealing our joy. He's committed to, to stealing our salvation if it's possible. He wants to see us dead. And most of us, I think, we believe that Satan exists. Right? We believe the devil's real. But a lot of us, again, have this sort of a, a cartoon picture of the devil in our minds, don't we? We picture the devil, and he's mostly wearing a little red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork, and he's probably got a little pointy goatee. And this image that we have of Satan in our minds, he's fairly benign. And that's not the biblical image of Satan, is it? Right? In 1 Peter, it describes him as a, as a ravenous wolf seeking whom he may devour. A picture of the devil who wants to consume us if possible. In Revelation 12, John paints this picture and he says that Satan is this great fiery red dragon with seven heads and ten horns bringing destruction to the earth. He's also called the serpent, the destroyer, the adversary. In John chapter 8, Jesus says that he's a murderer. That's our enemy. He's powerful, and he's fierce, and he hates us. And there's a quote from the movie The Usual Suspects that I really like. Kaiser Sose says this. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world think that he didn't exist. And we as Christians, I think we believe he exists, but we fail to realize what a real threat he is to us. That he wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. On the other hand, Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says the enemy, he wants to destroy you but I want to protect you. I want to deliver you. I want to provide for you. He says, I'll lay down your life for you. I'll stand in the gap for you. I have your back all the time. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So the idea is this. If you have a warehouse full of treasure and you hire an $8 an hour security guard to keep your stuff safe, he'll probably do it when he's awake. But if a threat arises and a robber comes with a gun, he isn't going to risk his life for eight bucks an hour, right? He's going to run away. He's going to say, I don't care about your sheep. I want to preserve my life. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, look, a, a, a hireling, a hired hand is going to run away when there's a threat. When the wolf attacks, he's gone. He abandons the sheep and he flees. And the wolf comes in and he, and he snatches the sheep and he scatters them. But not the shepherd, he says. He lays down his life defending the sheep. And we saw that with David, remember, when he's there in front of King Saul. And remember, he wants to go before, for, um, before Goliath and do battle. And, and Saul says, you're but a boy. You're not even a very big boy. And David says, yeah, but I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands with a sling and a rock. And we saw that David, the shepherd, had the heart of a warrior and he would do anything to protect his sheep. And that's sort of what we're talking about here. And, and this passage, of course, is talking about Jesus being the shepherd. 
But I think there's an important lesson here for, for all of us who feel called to ministry. That describes Jesus, but that needs to describe us as well. That's, that's Jesus' job description, but that's our job description. We, we can't be hirelings if we're in the ministry with no real love for the body of Christ. Because when hard times come, the hireling says, I'm out. Right? Trials and tribulations come, the enemy attacks, they run away. But as pastors, as elders, as ministry leaders in the church, we're not the good shepherd, of course, but we need to be good shepherds. We need to do a good job of taking care of the flock. And we're called to be under shepherds. Chuck Smith says we're called to be sheepdogs. Right? We're there and we're, we're minding the flock. We laid on our lives for the flock. We're called to that same standard. And usually we're not called to lay down our lives in a literal sense, but figuratively, right? All of us were called to ministry, and every believer actually, we're called to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. And those who feel that, that calling, that leading towards ministry, we need to understand that this is what it means. If you're called to ministry, it means that you're called to lay down your life to serve other people. And Jesus goes on in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again here Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me and I know them just like I know the Father and he knows me. And I have sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This verse right here, verse 16, I think is such a powerful verse. And such an oft-misquoted verse. A lot of times people will use this verse to support universalism. This idea that, that ultimately everybody is saved. You know, Jesus just has lots of different flocks all over, but they're all his people because we're all God's children. It doesn't really matter what you believe. We're all the sheep of his pasture. And you guys have all heard that. You know, all religions lead to God. And it's absolutely true. All religions do lead to God. On Judgment Day, before the great white throne. But that doesn't mean they're saved, does it? I've also heard this verse used to support the existence of um, extraterrestrials and aliens. Now, I'm a pretty big sci-fi fan. I love alien stories. I love Star Trek and Star Wars. But there's a reason why it's called sci-fi. It's science fiction, right? I don't believe that there's aliens. And even if there are, that's certainly not what John 10, 16 is talking about here, right? He's not talking about other religions. He's not talking about E.T. Who's he talking about then? Us. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about you and me. Remember the context here. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to Jewish people. And he says to these Jewish people, Look, I have other people outside of Judaism that I am going to save. And he's talking about the Gentile world. He's talking about every single non-Jewish Christian. Unless you are wearing a yarmulke today, 
and you can trace your lineage directly to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is you that he's talking about. This is me that he's talking about. He's talking about us as Gentile believers. And he's also, I think, talking about those who have not yet come to faith. Those who are not yet in the sheepfold. And I was reading that, and I was reminded of Acts chapter 18. Remember in Acts chapter 18, Paul has just left Athens. And he didn't have very good luck there. Remember, he was kind of laughed out of town there. Previously, he had been beaten and left for dead. He'd been stoned and left for dead. He'd been in prison. Things were going kind of bad for him. And he's on his way to Corinth. And it seems like he just doesn't want to go to Corinth. He got chased out of Athens, which was like, would have been Bellevue, right, in, in our area. It was the affluent area. There was culture. There was money there. And it's like having, getting chased out of Bellevue and having to go to Fife. And, oh, and he just didn't want to go. It's a rough area. It's kind of a port city. A lot of people were in and out. And, and it says that he was afraid. He's facing discouragement and fear. And the Lord appears to Paul in a dream in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. And he says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. And listen to what he says. For I have many people in this city who are my people. Now here's the thing. At that point, there wasn't a church in Corinth. At that point, there weren't a lot of believers in that city. There weren't many people who followed Jesus. But Jesus was looking forward, saying, I have many people here, Paul, who are waiting for you to bring the word so they can get saved. They're waiting to hear the message from you, Paul. So Jesus says, there are many people in my sheepfold, many people who I have called who will respond to my voice once they hear it. Once you proclaim it. Here's the thing, guys. Jesus has many people in this world who are his people, but they're not converted yet. They're waiting to hear his voice. You know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for you. They're waiting for me to speak the gospel, to proclaim the truth to them. And I hope you guys get that. That we as believers, have been given a heavy responsibility to share the words of Jesus with this lost and dying world. People are literally dying all around us, waiting for us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard John Piper say something interesting once. He said, predestination doesn't make missions unnecessary. It makes it hopeful. And I love that thought. And of course, he's a pretty strong Calvinist. But, but I love the idea there. The idea is that just because God has already called people to salvation doesn't mean that we don't have to share the gospel. It means that sharing the gospel is hopeful because there are those out there who the Lord is already working in their lives, preparing them to receive the message. When William Carey first got the call to go evangelize India, he went from church to church, and he spoke with different church leaders and different church pastors. And this was in the late 1700s when, when modern missions was really in its, in its infancy. 
And it was almost unheard of to go to a foreign land to proclaim the gospel. And he's going around trying to raise money to go proclaim the gospel in India. And so many of the other pastors and church leaders said this to him. They said, when God wants to save the heathen, he will do it without your help. Isn't that crazy? That's the antithesis of the gospel, isn't it? That's the exact opposite of Matthew chapter 28. That's the exact opposite of Acts chapter 1. The great commission to go out and to make disciples and to proclaim the gospel to every nation. It's crazy. But so much of us can still be like that today. Listen, church. Jesus has sheep in other folds. And it's our job to bring them in around the world, around this region, around our office. We need to be purveyors of the truth. And I think that this verse is part about evangelism, but I think Jesus is also touching a little bit on racism here. You may remember at this time, the Jewish people were very inwardly focused. And we've talked about this before, that they, you know, the, the Lord calls the Jewish people the chosen people. And, and they, they believed that with all their heart that they were the chosen people. They just didn't understand what it meant to be the chosen people. They didn't know what they were chosen for. They didn't realize that they were chosen to be lights of the world. They didn't realize they were chosen to be God's witnesses to show his love and mercy to this dying world. They felt that they were, they alone were, were chosen for salvation and that God loved them and them alone and that everyone else was destined to hell. And Jesus tells the people here, he says, look, the Messiah isn't just for you guys. The gospel isn't just for a certain group of people. Jesus came to save as many people as possible from every people group, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, the scripture says. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I hope we all understand what Paul is saying there. In Christ, there's no preference for males or females. There's no preference for the rich or the poor. There's no preference for the Jews or the Gentiles. When Jesus came, he came to save anyone and everyone who would believe in him. And I believe that that's why racism is so abhorrent in the eyes of the Lord. That's why it's such a, a disgusting thing to see in the lives of a professing Christian. That person that, that you look down on, that person that we can feel superior to because of where they were born or how much melanin they have on their skin, that person is a precious soul that Jesus Christ died to redeem. And Jesus is telling the people here, he says, look, there's a lot of people who look different than you and act different than you. And they're not of your little flock, but they're part of my flock. I'm bringing them into the sheepfold. In John 11, and we're going to look closer at this in a couple weeks, but in verse 52, the high priest is prophesying concerning Jesus, and he says this. He says that Jesus would die for the nation, and not, only the, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. 
And that's the idea here. Jesus says, look, guys, you guys better get on board with the mission here because things are changing. There are people who you might not initially have a lot in common with, but they're coming into the sheepfold. And you might not have culture or race or any of those things in common, but you have me in common, Jesus says, and that's enough. For this reason, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down to my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Look what Jesus says here. He says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says. I lay it down of my own accord. There was a time in, in, in the church history when the church, really when we justified anti-Semitism by saying, oh, they were Christ killers. We saw that in the Inquisition in the 1600s. We saw that again in Nazi Germany and Europe in the, in the 1900s. And people said, oh, the Jews, they killed Jesus. They deserve to be persecuted. And there are others who say, no, it wasn't the Jews who killed Ro uh, Jesus. It was, it was the Romans who killed Jesus. And here Jesus says, it was me. I chose to lay my life down. I willingly laid my life down of my own accord. And he says, not only did I lay my life down, but I took it up again. Now think about the significance of that. I suppose that any one of us could choose to lay down our lives for somebody else, right? Right? If, if there's a bus bearing down on Sam, I could choose to jump in front of the bus and push him out of the way. I don't know if I would, Sam, but hypothetically I could. But once I'm dead, I'm dead. I don't get to pay, take it back up again, right? That's the difference right there. Jesus willingly laid down his life, but he also had the authority to come back from the dead. Who else can do that? Who else but Jesus had the authority to come back from the dead? He defeated death. I look at this passage, guys. I see Jesus. He comes to us saying, look, I'm the good shepherd. I want to take care of you. I want to provide for you. I will lead you to green pastures. I'll lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. He says to us, I am the door. Do you want salvation? Come to me. Do you want protection? Come to me. He says, I have sheep in other folds. He says, I'm opening the doors of heaven to everyone. Whoever wills may enter. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. He says here, look, I'm laying down my life. I'm dying so that you can find life in me. I look at all that Jesus is offering us. And people still reject him. I think about that. And I have to ask, what is it that you want then? If Jesus isn't enough, what is? What more could he offer? And we're going to close here this morning, and I want to ask a couple questions. First, those of us who are believers, 
What is your heart towards the lost? Are you okay with them being lost? Not on a mental level. Of course, we want everybody to become a Christian. We don't want anybody to go to hell. But in our hearts, is it our burning desire to see people saved from hell? Are you desperate for people to be found by Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your life and to take up your cross and follow Jesus so that others can enter the fold? And second, is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? Or do you think there's something missing? Is there something more that you're looking for? You know, if you haven't come to the Lord yet, what is it that you think you're missing that Jesus won't fulfill? Because I'll tell you, there's nothing. There's nothing better than coming to Christ, being led by him to green pastures, being led by him to the still waters, being forgiven of our sins, having our, having our souls restored. And I just want to encourage you guys, if there's anyone here who has never come to Christ, man, do it. Do it today. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Because you're never going to find anything that satisfies apart from Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for being the good shepherd, Lord, the one who protects us and loves us and cares for us, Father. And we pray that you would just help us to help us to be good sheep and to follow the shepherd and to listen, Lord. And help us to have hearts like the shepherd. And we just pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would work in their hearts and that you would draw them to yourself. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.